Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. In Jesus' name, dear Christian friends, the text for our meditation this morning is our gospel lesson from Luke's 12th chapter here, especially this portion where Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is the text. You may be seated. This text never ceases to amaze me every single time it comes up. No matter how many times I hear it, read it, study it, or preach it, the response of that rich man just bewilders me. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, in our piety, wouldn't we like to think that the man's response would be one of thanks and praise? God is good. I've been blessed. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Praise the Lord. But no. He responds almost with the words of a lament. Woe is me. What am I going to do? I have all this wealth and no way to keep it. Oh, this is just terrible. How would you like to be invited to that pity party? I imagine that most of us would have a few words for this guy. Words like, who do you think you are? How dare you? Just look how good you have it when others are struggling just to get by. Why? If I had even just a fraction of what you have, I'd be thanking the Lord every single day of my life for how he's blessed me. But even this is not the point of Jesus' parable to call out the sinful pride and arrogance in others, to get them to repent and appreciate what they have. No, the parable is directed at you and your attitude toward money and possessions. Jesus tells you to be on your guard against all covetousness. The parable is a lesson in trust. This text is not a lesson in financial planning and wealth management. Jesus is not laying out here a method for investing and diversification. He is not holding up this rich man as the epitome of thriftiness and saving, a model businessman we should all strive to emulate. Quite the contrary. He calls the man a fool. And why? Well, notice what the man himself says when he sees how he's been blessed. 
in his own words, he tells us, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And then in the very next sentence, the light bulb comes on. He snaps his fingers and he says, I've got it. I know what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my barns and build even larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Sounds like a great plan. Did you catch it? It's easy to miss, because it goes by kind of fast. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. See, when he says, I have nowhere to store my crops, he doesn't mean nowhere. He doesn't mean he doesn't have anything to start with at all. He has barns aplenty. He says so himself. What he's telling us is that there's no room left in them. He's telling us they are already full. This man might better be described as a hoarder than wealthy or frugal or wise. He's clearly concerned only about himself and his own existence. He cares nothing for his fellow man or the congregation of God's people. What's he going to do with all of it? The fact that his barns are bursting at the seams already is evidence that he can't possibly begin to use it all and spend it himself, so he hoards it. Not sharing. He is the very picture of covetousness and greed, trusting only in himself and in his stuff. He is the one who believes against whom Jesus warns that his life consists in the abundance of his possessions. We hear him say as much. I will say to myself, Self, you have ample goods stored up for many years. Relax. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Everything's going to be fine. If I am to be safe, secure, and happy in life, according to this guy's way of thinking, then I must accumulate wealth for myself. And the more, the better. And if that means that I have to tear down barns and build larger ones, well, so be it. All this gets the man nowhere, of course. Jesus makes clear that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. God comes to the man that night and says to him, you're a fool. You've hoarded all this stuff, and what has it gotten you? How are you any better off now than you were before? Because tonight is your last night on earth. Your life has ended, and what's going to happen to all the stuff you've worked so hard for. You can't take it with you. 
Someone else is going to get to enjoy it. You misplaced your priorities. You forgot that taking care of your eternal soul is more important than taking care of your mortal body. You trusted in yourself, and it got you nowhere. You should have placed all your trust in me. That's the way it is for people who are not rich toward God, whose trust is not in the Lord. Jesus here proclaims, rather close on the heels of his teaching on prayer, which we heard last week, that his Father will provide for all of our needs, both of soul and body. It is the very reason that he taught his disciples, when you pray, say, Father. Acknowledge that God is Father, that he is the source of our health and our wealth, our strength and our salvation, and that nothing can snatch us out of his hand. He proceeds immediately after this parable to remind his listeners and us that God provides even for the ravens. The ravens who neither sow nor reap and have neither storehouse nor barn. Unlike that rich man in the parable who did all of that and had all of those things. The ravens don't and yet God feeds them. So he says, have no fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, seek His kingdom and these earthly things, they'll be added to you as well. Be rich toward God. Trust in Him. He will not fail. That's the lesson that Jesus taught the brother who came to him, demanding that his presumably older brother would divide the inheritance with him. The church father, St. Augustine, put it this way in his commentary on this text. He said, He, that brother, asked for half an inheritance on earth. The Lord offered him a whole inheritance in heaven. The Lord gave more than asked for. That's just what God does. That's who God is. Now you may be sitting there kind of thinking to yourself, well, that's easy for Jesus to say. But then Jesus never had to live through this economy, did he? Jesus never had to deal with hyperinflation and rising interest rates and ports being blocked and shipments being attacked and the stock market plummeting and, and commodities all over the map. 
if yours is anything like mine, if you haven't looked at your, your retirement account statement recently, well, you probably don't want to. I'll just tell you. Mine, well, <laughs> it isn't making any money right now. And we hear this text. We hear Jesus telling us your life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Well, that's easy for Jesus to say. He walked everywhere he went. He didn't have to fill his tank with gas. So what am I supposed to do, Jesus? Am I supposed to just be broke and destitute? I thought it was a good thing. I thought it was wise. And you, you call us to be stewards of everything that we have and use it wisely. Isn't investing and saving and, and being smart with my money a good thing? And I think we all know as we sit at our table or desk with the bills laid out and the checkbook, maybe the internet banking opened up, and we got to make some hard decisions. What are the priorities? What do we cut out? What do we keep? And for so many, when times are hard and when tough decisions need to be made, any kind of charitable giving is often the first to go because it's just so easy to do. I mean, we're fully and completely in control of that. We decide who we give to and when and why. And so if I have to sacrifice that, well, so be it. The point is, Jesus here is not teaching us about stewardship. He's not teaching us about how to manage what we have. The parable is a lesson in trust. The question is not so much what do you have or not have and what do you do with it, but rather what is the attitude of your heart? As our theme today says, whom do you trust? We don't know whether this night God will come to us and say, your soul is required of you. We don't know how many more nights or how many more weeks, months, or years He may give us, but we do know one thing. Jesus has actually lived through this economy. He's living through it right now. He's living through it with you and through you. St. Paul puts it this way. In the eighth chapter of his letter to the Romans, after he lays out just this whole laundry list of things, that would stand against us, that would seek to rob us of our joy, drive faith out of our hearts, and condemn us to hell. After 
listing all of these things, he asks this question. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him also graciously give us all things. God is for us. And so nothing and no one can stand against us. He surely did not spare His own Son, but did give Him up for us all, for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. And so He will just as surely graciously give us all things. Even when times are hard, even when difficult decisions must be made, Jesus is right there with us, walking with us, strengthening and keeping us so that we can place our trust in His Father, and recognize that all we have is indeed a gift from Him, from His gracious hand. That we can be wise and faithful stewards and managers of all that He's granted. Trusting not in the abundance of our possessions, but rather in His love, which He has shown to us in Christ. So on that day, when God comes to us and says, today or tonight, your soul is required of you, He won't look at us and say, you fool. But rather, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Father. God grant that to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen.